0: We have weekly engaging conversations with today's most influential thought leaders and entrepreneurs as they discuss their successes, failures, tipping points, and other priceless information that you can apply immediately after listening. And welcome to the show, good to have you right here. It is Ambitious Radio, hosted by our friend Doug Parker, talking about entrepreneurship and leadership while interviewing interesting people and what makes them ambitious. I you know the show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, grasshopper.com, the entrepreneur's phone system. You know, most of the time, small business owners need to personally guarantee any loans that their companies take out. That can be kind of tough to do if you have credit issues. So if you have less than perfect credit, go to repairmycreditnow.com for a free credit report evaluation. Repairmycreditnow.com. Doug, what do we have going on today?
1: Today we have a fantastic guest. As always, we try to get the best guests and I met this gentleman a few years back, and he was introduced to me by one of our other guests, one of the first guests we had, Bo Burlingham, that was formerly with Inc. Magazine, Um, and Jack Stack is an incredible man that uh, came to Springfield, Missouri uh, several years back and just revolutionized the company and did fantastic things. Jack, welcome to the show, sir. How are you?
2: Great, Doug. How are you?
1: I am doing great as well. I have uh, enjoyed over the years uh, your, your books and, and just the concepts that you have um, you know, with the, from the great game of business and then all the different things where you engage people and, and how you make those things work. But, but tell us a, a little bit about yourself, just a, a little bit about kind of where you came from, how you wound up in Missouri, and, uh, and then we'll go from there.
2: Well, I was born and raised in Chicago. I uh, came from an Irish Catholic family, and like most Irish Catholic families, uh. if you're the firstborn, and they send you into the seminary or the convent. And so <laughs> I spent some time in the seminary. I literally uh, failed at the seminary where the priest called my mother and said, I don't think your son's vocation is to be a priest. And then went back to uh, high school in uh, Chicago. And my father then told me that I could go to college if I you know, were, they applied disciplinary action. Uh, so I went to a Franciscan uh, college and I lasted to the last day of the second semester. And they called my mom and said, I don't think your son's vocation is to be a college student. So I then took a train from Quincy, Illinois to Chicago and I decided to join the Marines you know, in the height of the Vietnam War. Because I thought it was the only thing that was going to straighten my life out. And I went down to the induction center and failed the physical. So at 19 years old, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life when I took an inventory. And I thought, well, what are you going to do when God doesn't want you? The education system doesn't want you. The government doesn't want you. And I looked up and saw this big help wanted sign and said, I'm going to go into business and change the world. So at 19... I started on a factory floor and it was right at the height at the end of the industrial revolution or the industrial revolution was combining with the new age, the information age. And I literally at a young age got to see both. I got to see 14 years of factory floors and how people thought about jobs and supervisors and leadership. And I got to be able to be put into leadership positions and to formalized my education in night school and i did a lot of street time and i did a lot of hard time building things like trucks and tractors and uh you know really became totally satisfied by you know building things and seeing huge crawlers uh leave assembly lines on on railroad cars to be shipped off to russia and through the world and i thought that that was the end of the world i mean for me i mean i, I really loved uh, the idea of manufacturing and, and, and creating. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: And so now when you say big crawlers, now tell me a little bit about that. What, what, what exactly are you, are you talking about there? These
2: are, these are um, mining equipment. Uh, This would be road construction equipment. This would be 500 big uh, trucks that would move coal. Uh, We built, uh, we built construction equipment that mined gold you know, with okay. the big uh, front end loaders with uh, uh, big steel track chains, and so virtually anything you can think about in terms of a, they would call it today a Caterpillar. In those days, it was International Harvester.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Well, and that's and that's a name that that you haven't heard, uh, you know, in in quite uh, quite some time. And um, you know, that's that's ultimately, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, as you kind of you know navigated your way through Chicago, at, at some point. You you came to work, was it for International Harvester? How exactly did you get to Springfield, yeah, Missouri?
2: You know, when I was that troubled youth at 19 years old looking for something to straighten my life out, I went to work in the mailroom uh, in the International Harvester factory, which was 26 acres under one roof and a mile each way and employed 4,000 <laughs> people under roof. So I, I really started at the bottom. But I thought what was really amazing in during those days that the security clearances were so tight, there was really only two people that got to see the big picture of the company. One was the plant manager, and one was the mailboy. So I really was like the most powerful, second most powerful person in, in the factory because I could <laughs> see everything that was going on. I didn't need a, a clearance pass to move from purchasing to engineering or from the engineering department to the assembly lines i mean i i really got to see and on those days it, everyone kind of worked in their cubicles they really didn't understand the big picture of the company
1: very good very good and 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 you mentioned leadership so you know de- de- during that time i mean you're getting to go and and really go all
2: over this you said 27 acres under roof 26 yeah 26 <laughs> acres under roof. one mile one million square feet
1: one million square feet so so you're going through there and you are you know, you're you're seeing all the goings on, and and I love it. Uh, you know, as a young man, you you talk about that you're getting to uh, have the opportunity to be, you know, kind of second second most knowledgeable person there in the place. Uh, a lot of kids wouldn't be paying attention; they're just they're just bumping around, especially with the background as you mentioned that you felt like that you really uh, didn't have a lot of things going in the right direction. But um, so you so you worked there, and then then how did you, you know, So then you come to to Springfield, Missouri, and. You know, what did that transition look like when you got here? So you said it was wrapping up the industrial revolution, but then it kind of started transitioning and changing. And, uh, you, know, you know, we've got about three minutes or so left here in this segment, but we could give us a little idea of how you, um, you know, transitioned into SRC, uh, Springfield Remanufacturing Corporation, how that happened. And then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the, the great game of business in the next segment. But but can you tell us just a little bit about kind of how International Harvest was going down and,
2: and what that transition looked like? I was a real young person in Chicago. I was 19. And uh, most of my leadership was military, World War II vets, um, lieutenants, uh, majors. Uh, Command and control was the discipline of the day. And that's how basically we led. And I was a young person. I didn't have any debt. I didn't have any families. I took risks. And as a result of changing things up, I, I, I moved real fast. It was like let's give this kid the problem so in a 10-year period of time i actually had 10 different jobs and worked in a lot of different areas and um, i was a person that learned really really fast is that the more information that we gave people obviously the better we and faster we could really fix what the problem was so at the end of the day they then have this huge problem down in springfield missouri and they say look we want you to go down and, and introduce them to some manufacturing disciplines if in fact they don't buy those metrics, we're gonna to have to close the factory. So if you go down and buy a house, buy a house in a neighborhood that sells houses real fast. And off I go in the 1978 to go down to this factory. And it is probably one of the most entrepreneurial businesses that I'd ever witnessed in my entire life. I mean, I, I the people were beautiful. I came to them, they were loaded with problems. The people basically said, And it's an entrepreneurial community said, give me the tools to do the job and get the hell out of my way. And I thought, holy Christmas for a lazy guy like me, this is like a gift. (laughs) So what I had learned up in Chicago and was able to apply at this particular factory by utilizing the resources, the human resources, the talent that was here, um, we began to turn the company around. And we turned the company around from 1978 all the way through 1981 and it was that particular point in time, we were gonna go into one of the toughest recessions, the US economy had hit since the 1920s. And it really didn't matter. Um, we just couldn't, we couldn't compete. We couldn't compete globally. We couldn't do turnarounds. We were a hundred year old company that was so set in their ways. The only way that we could sell our eyes was to sell assets. And we tried to sell as many assets as we can. We laid off a thousand people a week for almost a two-year period of time. It was one of the most agonizing experiences that we all went through, never knowing if we were one phone call away from shutting down the factory, telling 300 people they didn't have a job, and fighting every single day to not give up and at least with any kind of a hope try to see if we could sustain the organization in a long period of time. Uh, those 36 months were some of the toughest times that we have ever experienced in our entire life just to be able to stay alive.
1: Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't imagine going through that and you know, out of that, I know some very, uh, very, very good things came, and and you mentioned command and control. And um, as we uh, as we wrap up here, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about command and control, and and how, uh, and and this is my opinion. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but how kind of diametrically opposed to that style, uh, the model that you currently operate is, uh, with the huddles and all the other things that you guys do. So uh, we're talking to Jack Stack the great jack stack the author of the great game of business and uh src in springfield missouri springfield me and springfield remanufacturing corporation uh we're listening right here on the ambitious radio network and after a brief word from our sponsors we'll be right back
0: Here's another RepairMyCreditNow.com story. Home ownership. It's the American dream. It's a goal you've always hoped to achieve. You've spent countless weekends looking for the perfect house on the ideal block. The rates are low, and you've saved enough for the down payment. Unfortunately, now the mortgage company says there's a little hitch. Okay, let's be honest. It's a gigantic, gargantuan hitch. It's your credit. And it looks like your estimated house payment will be (laughs) a lot
1: RepairMyCreditNow.com
0: RepairMyCreditNow.com www.RepairMyCreditNow.com As we get back into the show, let's give a shout out to our great sponsors, all3reports.com. That's all, the number three reports with an s.com. You know, many people check their credit every three to five years when they're financing a home or maybe when they're purchasing a new vehicle. But if there is an issue, it could be too late to do anything about it. So go to all3reports.com to find out more. Speaking of a new vehicle, a wise person once said, lease what depreciates, buy what appreciates. So go to Autoflex Leasing. They offer a better way to lease your next car. America's largest independent leasing company is Autoflex Leasing. Doug?
1: All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network. This is Doug Parker, and I've got Jack Stack with us today. Uh, Jack is the CEO of Springfield Remanufacturing Corporation, or SRC, out of Springfield, Missouri. What a great story you have, Jack. I appreciate you coming on today.
2: Well, it's really great to be with you, Doug.
1: Yes, sir. Well, I I tell you what, you know, we talked a little bit about command and control and it was kind of a military style. uh, And, you know, when your life is in danger, um, hey, I get it. You know what I mean? It's sometimes you just got to save a life and and, and save the country. But when it comes to, you know, where you go to work at every day, people, especially in this day and age, these millennials and others, that is not a model that works very well. So as you kind of came down to International Harvester and, and, and took that over, can you share with us just a little bit about, uh, the actual transition and, and and the things that you did to to transition away from that 100-year-old style of business to the the uh, the great game of business. We'll talk a little bit about your book as well.
2: Well, one of the problems that we experienced with terms of command and control is that it, it really restrained information getting to everybody inside the organization. It was almost as if <clears throat> after so many years of command and control, what we did is we we, we, we uh, held information so close to the vest because we use that as power or we use that as knowledge. And, you know, so what would happen in a lot of situations then you'd have a problem and nobody really knew that there was even a problem because everybody was afraid of talking about the problem, all right? And so what had happened is, is that command and control clogged the communication system, all right, where everybody became somewhat non-competitive and somewhat complacent command and control realistically kind of wipes out innovation. And I think any kind of intellectual contribution on a part of a body of people in an organization, right? When you're having people sitting around waiting for you to tell them what to do or provide a worksheet or job accountability, you, you get a set of hands. Okay. You really don't get the, the mind. You don't get the creative part of the person. Right, And so with global competition, you know, change the game for everybody in every industry, okay? And where people were coming up with really kind of innovative ways. I mean, I I saw the most incredible innovative ways coming out of Japan, when they decided to go after the car market and they actually had the audacity to ask the customer what they wanted in their car. Can you imagine anybody being so stupid to ask the customer what they wanted? But what was more incredible was that they could then go back and they could go to the people on their lines, in their offices, talk about the idea and then implement the idea and then come back with a product that was three times faster to the market than we ever could imagine because of the command and control system we built up since the early 1900s, okay? So it was a archaic, um, it was all our arteries were, were clogged. And so naturally what happens is is that we lost market share and that's what created the recession of the 1980s, all right? Is uh, we couldn't compete, and the global markets came in with everything they had at us, and we we shrunk our markets. So I'm I'm down in Springfield, Missouri, all right, and I I'm going to the people of the organization, and you know I'm trying to explain to them how they are being perceived at a at a at an executive level, and I was telling them about their safety statistics, and I'm telling them about their delivery, and I'm telling them about their inventory uh, buildups, and no one had ever talked to them about it before. <laughs> I mean, this was the 17th the smallest or smallest manufacturing company in the hierarchy of international, but these guys didn't even know they were bad. And yet here I was being sent down to close the factory. So I thought, well, maybe it might, might be unique in order to tell them in terms of where they stand and how they're being evaluated. And all of a sudden we began to open up areas of accountability that aren't typically opened up in a command and control situation. So we taught them safety. Okay, we taught them delivery, and we taught them um, uh, cash flow. And we taught them margins. Okay, and we began to speak a different language, and they found that to be really interesting. And you know, it was just the beginning of, of understanding that you know maybe in this world there were two sets of metrics. There's metrics that you center around making a product, and then there's metrics you should be centering around when it comes to building a company. And they're, they're almost opposed. And, and those metrics on building a company are not shared with anybody. But yet, every job description, every evaluation that we have in most businesses today only evaluate the person in the job. So we began this journey, okay, which started there on that shop floor by sharing information, uh, monitoring it, telling the difference that everybody made in order to improve the situation and then morale all of a sudden shot through the ceiling and it was almost as if the more information the more we broke down the whole idea of command and control the more we got buy in the more we got participation okay the more we were able to make some spectacular results and as a result of those outcomes we we they didn't sell or they didn't close us down i mean they remember they're they're closing factories like crazy okay and we are we're go- We went from 115,000 people down to 11,000 people in a two-year period of time. But this little factory, because of its resilience, okay, because of its ability to be able to innovate and come up with really some unique ideas, they were able to at least stabilize and survive and didn't necessarily get wiped out until one day we got put on the diversified list. And when you get put on the diversified list, that's you are now condemned, and you know it's only a matter of time before they close the factory. And so I would walk on the shop floor, and people would be having the latest headline of the plant closing, and they'd ask me questions like, should I get married? Should I have a kid? Should I buy a car? Am I going to have a job? I would go back to my office and ask them, why are they asking me these godlike questions? I mean, can't they read the press? Don't they understand what's going on? Don't they understand that we're not part of the, the strategy of the entire company that there is no money i mean can't they see that a plant closing is inevitable and then one day i just couldn't handle it anymore and i went out to them and said don't get married don't have a kid the economic reality is that they're probably going to close us and i looked at it, every single one of them i said one of three things are going to happen but one is that they will close us two is that if you don't have capital and you try to survive, it's a brutal life, or three, they may sell us. And I looked at them strictly from the standpoint of clearing my own conscience said, do you want to buy the place? Okay, I never had any intentions on buying the place. I was cleaning my Irish Catholic guilt that if, in fact, I got a phone call and had to lay them off, I could at least say to myself, I tried to save you, and you wouldn't save yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, little did I know that... That they selected, that they like to make a run at buying the company. And that's basically how the journey then took a tremendous turn in terms of entrepreneurship, innovation, and creativity.
1: You know you 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 talk about those things and, and you talk about the different metrics and and those types of things. And I, you know I know that your book, you you know you gamify, you know some of those things. So you teach everybody, about you know the the safety you teach everybody about the profitability how to read a balance sheet you know profit and loss what do those things mean and and i've i've literally you know been been at your place and you know you've got guys that in in what we might consider quote unquote the you know the normal world you go out there and there's guys that you know they got they they got grease on them they they're you know whatever and then y'all have a, a huddle where you bring everybody together and these guys come in and they're they're talking about their numbers and not just their production numbers, but the profitability, the safety, all of those things. Uh, c- can you share just a little bit about the huddle and what that really consists of and how you came up with that idea?
2: Well, it, you know, in in the, in a manufacturing environment, you can time study a nad's ass. Okay, I mean the metrics to make an engine, you know, to grind a crankshaft, to heat treat it. Okay, to send it through a grinder and a finished product. Okay, you just it's just like building a rocket ship all right and so you have all those types of metrics in terms of um, performance in terms of safety you have things like incident frequency severity days lost okay you have all these these, these various measurements um, it, it's easy in terms of whether or not you can deliver the product on time those things that are totally related to a product or a service themselves all right and so when I confronted the associates in terms of asking if they wanted to buy the company I was kind of hoping that they would sit there and say something like well you know how to build a truck and you know how to build an engine but building a company is not the same as building a product and they didn't okay and so then what happened to me is I had to go out and try to borrow money and when I went out to borrow money I could take my blueprints and I could take my safety record and I could take my on-time delivery record and my reduction of inventories, okay? But the financial institution could care less about that, okay? I mean, they were asking me things about accounts, receivable turnover, leveraging inventory as collateral, how much I could get on the inventory, what are my days of uh, of receivables, what's my margins, what's my inventory turns, and I was lost, okay? I said, so you really don't want to hear about my manufacturing trophies? And they go, no. And they began to ask me these really stupid questions. The first question the guy asked me is, what are you going to pay this money back? (laughs) And I, Holy cow, what a great question. I mean, I didn't know when I went to borrow the money, I didn't know that I was supposed to pay it back. I I thought you paid interest on it. And I was the most economically illiterate person that ever walked the face of the earth. I could make a crawler tractor that could mine gold, but I knew nothing about the metrics of the company itself. And so when I began to have to learn how to do financials, income statements, balance sheets, and cash flow statements, I started to question myself from my manufacturing days of saying, why aren't we teaching people the metrics of a company? Why are we only teaching the metrics of the crankshaft? I mean, w- wouldn't we get a better crankshaft if we taught them the, what it took to make a company great? You know, and what if we appealed to a higher level of thinking in people? Because if that's what we really want to do, if we want them to come to work and not fear and ask questions about whether they should get married or whether they should have a kid or not, you know, why don't? Why can't they answer that question if we could teach them how to run a balance sheet? Because a balance sheet is what tells you whether the company is going to be secure or not. So we 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 kicked around the idea saying, well, you know, maybe we can differentiate our thinking here. And maybe what we can do is begin to teach people these financial ratios in the hopes then that they can apply them in their job descriptions and their day-to-day accountabilities and only be thinking at a higher level. That no, We didn't want them to give up the process of the product. We wanted the company to be the product. And so we began to teach every hourly salaried managerial engineer anyone that was part of the company that the that the new thought process will be will be to build great and sustaining companies and we're going to let you think the same way any investor in the marketplace would think how to look at that company look at its deviations look at its weaknesses look at its strengths and those are the things that we need to be working on if we really want it to be great and we really want to sustain and you know what they bought into it like crazy
1: and that was back in 1983 right exactly
2: that that whole year yeah 1983
1: gotcha well i'll tell you what guys after we hear another brief word from our sponsors we'll be back with jack stack he's the founder and ceo of src in springfield missouri we're going to hear about what's next what else is he working on and uh, it's going to be great information right here on the ambitious radio network
0: Back in here on the show, it's Ambitious Radio Network. Hey, are you thinking of expanding your business but don't want to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a new phone system? Consider grasshopper.com. You get to keep your existing number. You have multiple extensions, voicemails transcribed, and no new hardware. Grasshopper.com is the entrepreneur's phone system. Let's get back to the show with Doug Parker.
2: All right,
1: we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network. We've got Jack Stack with us today, author of The Great Game of Business and the founder and CEO CEO of src holdings corporation it was founded in 1983 and uh jack was just kind of telling us how he took it over and changed some things around and the folks of of springfield were so entrepreneurial picking up the the uh, pieces and and putting it back together now jack out of all of that just terrible recession and 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 you know international harvester kind of going out of business can you tell us a, a little bit about the the multiple companies that have come out of that and I think last time I, I had talked to you about this it was my, if my memory serves me correctly it was something like 37 different companies have come out of out of that that group of folks and I think it, you mentioned something like the a share was maybe 10 cents a share and it it was you know at some points was worth like a little bit over 400 a share but can can you share some info on that with us
2: uh, Well um, we wrote in order in order to buy the business okay when you work for big companies all your life you don't make big money and we didn't have any money. So we really scratched out trying to get the equity to buy the company. And we went from institution to institutions. We we wrote over 50 business plans and just to be able to <clears throat> see if we could get the money in order to buy our jobs. So our, our, our priority was basically our jobs. Um, through divine intervention, we were able to book one of the worst loans in corporate America. We had an 89 to one buyout with 18% interest rates at that 1983. So, you know, a lot of people look back at us and said, well, in order to really be successful, you have to have something traumatic in your life. You know, it's got to be life changing. And, you know, obviously, you know, the debt that you had on your back, I mean, that created this new way of thinking about businesses. And, you know, I hear still hear this today. And I'm in the back of my mind, I'm telling people, you know, i didn't even know we were in trouble (laughs) i didn't know what 89 was the one was let alone one-to-one i just knew we had the opportunity to be able to save our jobs so what we virtually first started out was you know trying to build a company where we could at least uh, provide some security Um, and i walked into the office and my first day of business and i had failed to negotiate a it plan with the parent company so here i now owed 8.9 million dollars to the banks i turned up and there is no light. Our computer systems are blank, are no access to payroll data. And so, um, or most people would probably run out the door. And I also knew that our bank realized what a leverage buyout they created. Um, we took out a blank sheet of paper and put an income statement on the bulletin board and said, by God, we may not have a system, but what we're gonna do is figure out what these financials are gonna look like And so I started to go around the room on every single line in the income statement and every single line in the cash flow statement, and I asked the person what they were going to do. And it was so eye-opening to realize that on my income statement, there was somebody that was responsible for every single line on that income statement. And I'm thinking about all the job descriptions that we wrote and all the accountabilities, and here it was right in front of us. We hired a guy to sell 16 million dollars a million five a month why shouldn't he have the ownership of that line and so we filled out that income statement then we filled out that calendar cash flow statement we went, wow this is really powerful stuff all right this is these are numbers but they're stories about people they're stories about what people are going to be doing for each other all right and we then began to send those to our financial institutions based on the forecast and the psychic ownership that was created by trusting people to own the lines of the financial statements that were gonna make a difference in lives. All of a sudden, this became really kind of interesting on everybody's part, the hourly people, the salary people. It was kind of tough at first, okay? But what we discovered was that if we could develop an accelerated learning process to get people to understand debt, okay, to understand the bright sides of capitalism, to understand the power of equity, To understand that if, in fact, you really want to build a society of people that brings together the haves and the have-nots, okay, it's not about minimum wages. It's about how to build value and to build equity and and to disperse equity based on the value that you create. So we started singing this thing to the people inside the organization. You know what? The more we taught them about business, the more they taught us. Because now they started asking really intelligent questions. They didn't ask on where the mailbox was or how long it took to go to the bathroom. I mean, what they were asking for is what do we need to do better to build the balance sheet? How do we go from 89 to 1 to 1 to 1, okay? And what happens when you begin to build that wealth? Well, the more we got them to concentrate on the business, the more they wanted the information. So that one huddle that we had, that one meeting where we filled out that income statement, that cash flow statement, we said there's no better staff meeting than this. So every single Wednesday for the last 33 years, okay, we've been having these huddles where we bring everybody into a room. We got a income statement and a cash flow statement. We take everybody's stories, we convert them to a number, we put it together and we give everybody where the company is going. It's no different than publicly held companies that give out financial statements quarterly where they have to tell the material significance of of the company, okay, and anything that's going to affect it. Those are our staff beings. They are powerful. They're they're, they're incredibly productive. But what happens is, is that our people then begin to get the idea of how to succeed in business. And then once we got them turned on to knowing what it took to succeed, they came up with great ideas. And as they came up with great ideas, we were able to spin their ideas off into other businesses. And guess who was able to run the businesses that we created over the last 33 years? The people who had learned from the accelerated learning processes, okay? Because we don't teach this in our universities. We don't teach this in in our institutions today. So what we thought we were doing was differentiating our workforce, okay? We turned into an army of capitalists. And they went out there and started to build companies. So we, we got involved in over 65 companies over the last 33 years, starting them up, uh, building them, integrating them, selling them. And today we've got roughly about 26 companies on, on the books uh, at this time.
1: That is unbelievable. That I mean, that truly is the, the, the American dream, You know, to be able to take something that in the most devastating situation, turn it around, hard work. And and just putting a process in place and following that process, and and as we talked in a couple of segments back, the, the total opposite side of command and control. It was you know essentially expose, get into a huddle, just hey, here's how it really is, and and let these folks know. Now, uh, Jack, we got about two minutes left in this segment, but I, but I know you've got um, some some resources for other companies that might want to know about what it is that you guys do, uh, one being in September, I think it's September the 9th, uh, no, September the 7th through the 9th uh, of 2016, you've got the great game uh, where, where you basically go through, it's called Bowl Moves, it's your annual gathering of games right here in Dallas, Texas. But um, and, and to get registered for that, you go to greatgame.com, and we'll put a link to that on the website on Ambitious Radio where guys can go into the show notes and, and check out, just look for Jack Stack. And uh, we'll put all this information on the site. But can you tell us a little bit about what someone could expect if they go and 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 they're they're learning from uh, from all the successes that you guys have had?
2: Um, um, yeah. This 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 all started from the standpoint is that once people heard that we were sharing financial data with hourly and salary people, they thought it was quite radical when we considered it to be somewhat common sense. And people started to call us up. And they wanted to attend our huddles. And then our, our huddles started to get real full because we're just a bunch of good old country guys that just wanted to share this information and then finally our people said can we have our huddles back and so we built a conference for or actually a two-day seminar that people wanted to come in uh, they could go through this system uh, because what we did to accelerate the learning process is that we converted everything into what we call a great game of business Great Game of Business, it's, it's about, you know, telling the rules of the, of the game, which is the marketplace. It's about, you know, teaching people uh, a stake in the outcome. Uh, it's teaching people um, all, the, all the realities of uh, um, what it takes to win and, and all the game. So be, it is a system that has been developed over the last 33 years. Um, we've really literally really brought in tens of thousands of people to our facility. And then, um, About uh, 20-some years ago, people said, well, can we all get together and start sharing each other's stories? And from this one little meeting that we had in Springfield, Missouri, 20-some years ago, all of a sudden, we began to start to have an annual event. And that annual event began to grow, and all of a sudden, these practitioners got together, and then there's award-winning companies. And uh, it's just been an unbelievable ride. For the number of people that have embraced this system of business, okay, in order to enhance the lives of not only each other but also the people that they work with. So yeah, on September 7th and 9th, we're going into Dallas. We're going to the Weston Galleria. Um, typically at this time, um, we, um, we, we we roughly have about uh, maybe 20% of the people signed up. We are well over 50% uh, on our, on our way. We're just having tremendous results moving into Dallas. We normally had it in St. Louis and we sell to a capacity crowd, but Dallas has just been absolutely remarkable. I mean, it, and they have been really fabulous to us. So we're excited about bringing people from all over the world, uh, to come in and to be able to share their experiences. And you, you don't have to kick the tires and look under the hood. When you listen to the stories of the people that have made radical changes in our organization and the successes that they've had, it's a real mm. upbeat time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, I've, I've, I've personally participated in, in some of the things that you guys have done in Springfield. And I will tell you, it is, it is mind boggling, uh, just a different, a different radically different approach. But as you said, it really does just make sense uh, whenever, whenever you really, uh, really look at it. So great information, guys, dot com is where you would go to get registered for that. Highly recommend it. Uh, anything that I have ever participated in, or uh, or checked out that the Jack's part of it has always been absolutely top-notch and things that you can go back and apply to your businesses right away. So uh, great stuff for our Ambitious listeners. And if you like what you're hearing and you want to be notified of updates of what's going on via text, you can text the word Ambitious to 69922. That's Ambitious to 69922 standard messaging rates apply you can see the website for more details and right after this quick break we've got we'll be right back with jack stack on the ambitious radio network
0: start shopping for a car, you go in thinking that this time you're really going to get a great deal. Then the haggling starts. You have to fence with the salesman over the price, then verbally joust with the finance manager over the interest rate and all the extras they want to sell you. By the time you get out of there, you're glad to have escaped with your watch and rings. Stop the insanity. There's a better way, and that's to lease your next car from Autoflex Leasing. Call the leasing specialist at Autoflex, and you'll find that getting your next car can be fast, easy, and fun. Your Autoflex specialist leases all makes and models, both new and used. They'll also pick up your trade-in for an appraisal and deliver your new car to your home or office. Imagine leasing your next car and never having to go to a dealer. Happens every day at Autoflex Leasing. To see for yourself, call Autoflex today at 817 or 972-234-1234 or reach them at autoflex.com. Autoflex Leasing, a better way to lease your next car. And we're back in here on the show. It's Ambitious Radio Network, recharging the ambitious mind, body, and spirit made possible by RepairMyCreditNow.com. You know, having bad credit can be really draining. It's okay to not be okay as long as you're on the road to being okay. Let RepairMyCreditNow.com help get you back on track. You know, many of our ambitious listeners prefer to listen to books as opposed to reading them. Now, with that, we've teamed up with Audible.com to offer you one free audiobook. Just go to ambitiousradio.com, click on the audible banner on the page to find out more. Back to the show now with Doug Parker.
1: All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and we've got Jack Stack, and he has been just giving us tons of nuggets of information that we can really you know, research and apply in our businesses. He's a hard-charging guy, hard-working, and you know, guys that are ambitious, they go out there and they give it their all. The reality is, though, sometimes... They, they run out of juice a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about how you recharge your ambitious body, mind, and spirit, things that you might do just to kind of get back on track,
2: Jack. Well, I, um, when, I, when we first bought the company and uh, we had to, all the mounting debt and we had to worry about uh, harming one soul in our company from you know, the burdens that we experienced in the acquisition – um, we worked a lot of hours, and uh, we were getting to the point where I was beginning to lose hair, and it was kind of stressful, and uh, I was walking as if I had a third leg, and then I went to the doctor, and they said, well, they either have Lou Gehrig's disease or multiple sclerosis, and I said, well, I think I better get a second opinion, and I went to a neurologist, he tested me out, and I said, man, you got stress." And he said, if you don't do something about this stress, he said, you're going to be dead by the time you're 45, so I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He says, get a hobby. I go, I'm from Chicago. You know, I mean, a hobby, like stamp collecting? or <laughs> So he said, uh, try fishing. I said, fishing? You know, we all we had was pavement up in Chicago. I, so I went down, took the kids. We rented a, I rented a place, got a rowboat, went out there on the point. Said, let's go 40 feet, drop a worm, sit there, relax. And about 7 o'clock, the whole earth opened up, and these bass boats came flying out of the creek. I rode back. I asked the owner, I said, what was that they said well it's a fishing tournament i said fishing tournament they fish for money and he goes yeah and so i got involved in fishing and i went back i swear i spent the next two years working but coming home taking the kids out to the games and everything like that, and then spending all my time studying fishing and so what i do to unwind and what i do to uh, try to stay on track and balance is raise a family and fish like crazy
1: the fish like crazy. That's that's good stuff. You know, I don't mind going fishing as long as they're biting. See, I'm kind of impatient, so <laughs> so.
2: <laughs> and I like I like it tough because I I got a chance to beat the pros if it's tough.
1: There you go, there you go. Well, that's that's good stuff. Now, when when you um you know when you're when you're relaxing, going on vacation, you're kind of checking out. You know, it's not maybe part of the normal uh you know daily or weekly uh, activities. Are there are there places you like to go on vacation to unwind?
2: We uh, we're very fortunate to live in the Ozark. The Ozark is probably one of the best kept secrets in the world. It's just gorgeous country, loaded with mountains, loaded with fresh water, um, clear water. I traveled to some of the gorgeous, most gorgeous places in the world, and can't wait to get back here. I mean, I, I can't tell you how relaxing it is to be on Table Rock Lake or to be on a bass boat when it's thirty degrees and crank that. 300 horsepower motor up and freeze your butt off and know what life is all about
1: <laughs> that sounds like a a blast uh, good stuff you know it's interesting i've had uh, i think three separate guests over the last uh, couple months that have mentioned uh the ozarks and you know that's that's uh i'm, I'm gonna have to go check that out and you know, in my mind, I don't know what I think when I think Missouri, but for some reason, I'm not thinking, you know, necessarily beautiful lakes and stuff like that. I just ignorant to the uh, to, to what all you have to offer out there. So, we have to go, go, go check those things out. Now, rest. You know, you you uh, again, you're hard charging and and you've been at it for a while now. But what what type of sleep does it take for you to uh, to fully recover and be back on track the next day?
2: Oh, I, I, you know, what's really sad is that if I tell you, I'm gonna make your readers feel sick. I four to six hours.
1: Oh my goodness, that is unbelievable. You know, I oh, there, there's 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 uh, a few people I've talked to like that that can do you know four five six hours. Most most people it takes eight or nine, and I'm definitely envious of the ones that can do it on less.
2: Well, those bass tournaments started like seven o'clock in the morning, so I got to get up at <laughs> four and vote up to the. <laughs> the boat up to the truck does this sound like the ozarks and get down there for the race
1: absolutely now that's that is that is great 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 stuff now do, do you do you prefer to read or do you like to listen to things
2: uh most people around here will tell you i prefer to talk <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> well that's great because that's why we got you on the show today so it's good that, that you can do that for sure
2: but I, you know, I'm obsessed with business, and I will read and watch anything that is totally related to business. I am a business geek. You know, I, 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 I will flip it on in the morning, and I'm interested in world markets and globalizations and shifts and purchasing powers and uh, contributions that people make. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a business junkie. You
1: know, I, uh, I I noticed that one of your favorite books um, was was Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. and and you know you uh, when when you, so many people know about that book if they're business and capital type capitalist type folks, but uh, but some people are not aware of that. But um, it is you know quite a quite a great story there. Do um, you kind of have a a favorite
2: part, or you just like the general theme of the book? No, the theme the theme is about you know, respecting earned success. And I think the more that you can promote earned success, not the fact that you're just lucky, or not the fact that your business succeeded because you had access to roads, you know, the more that you can convince people that they can still have the opportunity to grab the brass ring here, I think the better chance that you're going to be building an overall quality of life. And uh, so I I I like the book from the standpoint that it kind of highlighted the problems with too much uh, command and control. Too much government, too much overhead on the backs of the workers, uh, to the point where, you, you know, when you're adding so much social overhead that, and not enough labor hours, you're going to run out of people who are going to be doing the work. And so yeah. I, I'm a real big advocate of allowing people the opportunity to be able to go as far as they can go and then provide them with the resources to be able to get there if they have the Ugatawana. And I really think. That's in some markets, and in some um, discussions, um, we're losing our. You gotta want to
1: Yeah, you gotta want to That's that's that is really really great great stuff. Uh, you know, Jack. If someone wanted to to engage, uh, you know, with you, are, are you uh, are you a guy that's, that's social at all? Do you do you have the facebooks and those types of things?
2: I have, <laughs> I have an email and um, i do a lot of text messages Uh, my kids are all about instagrams and facebook's and i have instagram for the grandchildren but uh, when it comes to social media i am uh really a dinosaur
1: well hey you know what i mean the 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 good news is GreatGame.com. i know that that uh you know kind of tracks Back oh, yeah. in you know back yeah. into you for everything so if someone wanted to you know participate in anything we can always send them to a uh, yes. great game and, yes. and and definitely engage with you there. Um, well, I just want to tell you sir I am so appreciative of you taking the opportunity you know t- just taking me up on uh, coming on the show've I've been so impressed over the years with just how you've uh, turned around uh, you know made some some lemonade out of those lemons back in the 80s and 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 not just lemonade I mean just really knocked it out of the park and changed really the lives of thousands and thousands of people in that community. And it's great to see uh, folks doing what you do. So thanks, thanks for doing that. Thanks for, for being a great American. Thanks for coming on the show today.
2: Doug, we really appreciate you. And, and a lot of what you've just um, imposed on me have been done by so many other people. I mean, this is a very, very big moment. And, it, and, it's, and the more you begin to understand it, the more you begin to realize how many good people there truly are in this world. And uh, and I can't tell you enough uh, how much we appreciate you uh, allowing us the opportunity to talk about it today.
1: Yes, sir. Well, hey, I tell you what, we appreciate you as well. And we'll uh, we'll wrap up here. But guys, this is Jack Stack, the founder and CEO of SRC Holdings out of Springfield, Missouri. And tune in on Wednesdays to Ambitious Radio, where we interview thought leaders and exciting entrepreneurs changing the faces of their organizations. Remember, You can make money or you can make excuses, but you cannot make both. So go out there and be ambitious.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ambitious Radio Network, hosted by serial entrepreneur Doug Parker. Join us weekly as we have engaging conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders on topics that can be applied immediately after listening. Like what you've heard? Listen to other interviews at ambitiousradio.com or subscribe on iTunes.